Welcome to Retro Fanfic Retrospective, the podcast where we dredge up old fanfiction and expose it to the cold, harsh light of 2022. My name is Amato, he, him, and with me are... Tori, they, them. And Tarin, he, him. Thanks for joining us again, Tarin. And what we managed to do it at a reasonable hour for you on the East Coast, too. Yeah, normally it's like two in the morning when we do these things, and right now it's around midnight. That's not... Sorry, no, that's not true. That's a bald-faced lie right there. Well, you are a lawyer. That's true. We don't, we, like, we don't sleep so much as hang. You know, we hang out. I thought you were going to say hang upside down. I was, and then I realized that would make us seem cooler than we are, so I headed that off at the pass. You did just get a job working, you know, it, indirectly in environmental law, right? So that's kind of pretty cool. directly, right? Very directly. Pretty I directly. forget. <laughs> the bureaucratic Sorry. side of it. Yeah, yeah. I I don't know what I was thinking. I was just like, I was gonna say that, and then I backtracked. I don't understand the law. Blame that on me. <laughs> that's no excuse. <laughs> that's why I wanted to talk about this fanfic about me today. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, the fanfic's not about you. It's true. Um, it's mostly about some character named Roroni Kenshin. Is that right? Good old Roroni. <laughs> As we like to call him. Okay, so... Yeah. <laughs> this really did confuse me when I was a kid because there was Roroni Kenshin and there was Samurai X. And then you watch mm-hmm. the show and the character's name is Kenshin, but it's not Roroni Kenshin. But he is a Roroni or... And he oh, yeah. was the Batosai, and he also has another name that's not Kenshin, which is, you know, his surname, and I forget what that is. Uh, help me out two, here. Two things about that, Tori. One is that Stan Sakai runs into the same problem all the time with Usagi Yojimbo. Mm. Um, and the other thing is that one of the few things I remember about Roni Kenshin is that joke line from the, like, fan video, This is Otakudam, which is like a, you know, parody fan dub. And at one point, you see Seal, who are like the North American anime distributors, and like you cut into the scene, and one of them is just finishing a conversation saying, and that's why we called it Samurai X. And then the scene <laughs> continues. <laughs> that's right. Uh... And, and you're right, though, because there's also Hitokiri, which is like, they say Hitokiri Batosai, but sometimes they just say the Batosai. Mm-hmm. And his actual name is like, has been changed from his original name of, I think, Shinta, um, by his master, right? And so, also, by the way, Samurai X, right. So I, we got Samurai X not knowing that it was the same thing as Kenshin. We were like, (laughs) oh, that looks like Kenshin. That's probably pretty cool. Because it doesn't say Kenshin on the front of it, right? Yep. But it does in Japan. Right in Japan, it's an OVA of, like called Rurouni Kenshin colon whatever, right? So yeah, here's the thing: they originally, when they brought it as like a tape to the U.S., called it Samurai X, and then when they started releasing it on TV, like how I watched it was Rurouni Kenshin. But because the covers of the releases are different, and one I think has the more Batosai looking Kenshin, I think Samurai X does. I had the same thought. I was like, these must be related pieces of media. But I had no idea that they were the same. I think until I was doing my research 
for this. Yeah. I was like, maybe oh, they're those both were the based. same. Hey, maybe they're both based on the same red-haired samurai in in the Meiji era or whatever. Uh, yeah, early Meiji. It's yeah. it's interesting. I've run into. I mean, I'm a East Asian studies Japan major, and like you know, studied this period a lot, and you know, I've run to other pieces of media set around here. It's like such a fruitful, interesting place to set things in, in you know, like as as Japanese media, like historical fiction type things. I'm trying to think of like an equivalent. It's not unlike setting things around the Revolutionary War, I guess, in U.S. history, except it's way cooler than that. So I don't know. Or like the Roaring Twenties or something like like a, like bootlegging Prohibition era stuff, maybe. Yeah, I mean, it just it just has that mm-hmm. yeah that thing where like the end of an era and a new era is starting, and everything's in like major flux, and so it's really well, interesting. It's the period of time like you know, early Meiji. Well, maybe it was a little later than that, but I translated some stuff like for my senior thesis, like undergraduate thesis. So nothing major, um, you know, about like educational reform, like people kind of proposing how their education system should be in this like new, you know, era, new world. And like all these people going to other countries and coming back and being like, oh, we should do this like the Germans do or whatever. Having like intellectuals having serious conversations about like, do we need kanji? Like really, should we just throw out the kanji? And unfortunately, Kanji won. Yeah, it's like a very similar to the Industrial Revolution. Yeah, except, I guess that's about it. Yeah. And it's not actually that far away from the Industrial Revolution, but it's just that like Japan's history, as far as I understand it, is so much more, you know, older than US history, first of all, rich in these cultural traditions, like, you know, swordsmanship, as we'll be talking about with this. Um there wasn't like a huge reason to keep using swords the way people were. And yet it was part um, of the tradition, right? I mean, I'm not sure if people were really using swords, though. <laughs> like, Or carrying. I don't know. Maybe not. That's more of a media thing, I think. But well, yeah. No, but we're still... I mean, I think like Kenshin is somewhat rooted in... You're, you're probably right. But I, I'm saying it's somewhat rooted in the... Like you were saying, the transitional period. Like there did used to be a lot of sword use in Japan, as far as I understand it. And yeah, he, he, he like fought the Shinsengumi and stuff, right? So yeah, I guess like swords were involved and that kind of thing. One thing about kanji is I think we like people would really miss it if it was gone. That's all. That's all I'm going to say. You know, it'd be like super popular to try to come back, you know, start writing in, you know, maybe that'd be cool, actually. All I'm saying is that Korea had a linguist linguist is the word just create a writing system that made sense and you know everyone could do that all all countries and languages could do that if they wanted to they just don't want to (laughs) so is roroni kenshin like is it the preeminent like sort of semi-realistic like or at least most popular um samurai anime of its uh, at least of its time or am i forgetting of some earlier i mean of its time i would say so because i feel like a lot of the other things like that i think of when i think of you know period sword and ninja piece well for one thing it's more ninjas i mean like ninja scroll came to mind i'm like that's not quite samurai and for another thing those things that come to mind kind of feel like the things that we watched when we had no other choices because there were like five anime you could watch. And so it's like, therefore, 
ninja scroll not right, like right. something that you would choose if you actually had the option whereas Rooney kenshin i feel like had more people liking it for actual reasons right and fewer vampires and stuff like that fewer i do remember some kind of mummy isn't there a mummy Is there a mummy i do know he leaps around like he's got some sort of mm-hmm. low-level superpowers his whole thing is that he tricks people by having like stripes on his arms that make the arms look shorter and longer depending on the angle. Hmm. Right? Is that the person we're talking about? Um, the mummy that I'm thinking. Yes, th- that's that's the person I'm thinking of. I was being facetious, okay. but also I do <laughs> want it on the record that I know practically nothing about Roroni Kenshin. Like I read at least some of the manga at some point in my life, probably when I was like 14. And that's more than 20 years ago by now. So, like, going into this, I was like, there was a dude with a really, really big sword. And uh, I don't remember much. I mean, there's there's Kenshin <laughs> and that other character who has that anime female lead protagonist syndrome where she can't cook. And yep. she starts out kind of badass, but sort of loses it pretty quickly. Very Akane Tendo, um, right. Yep. Yeah, and... And Guy with Big Sword features prominently in this fanfic. Yes. So that's I, cool. Yeah, that was my point of reference. <laughs> that guy at one point had a big sword. I, therefore, I understand what's going on. <laughs> he also gets sort of the short end of the stick, but, you know, it's a character is initially in the protagonist's orbit, like, issue, I think. Well, I think we've established you two have seen more Roni Kenshin and remember more than me. But Tarin, could you specifically speak a little bit about it? Because when I was going to, was I inviting you to come back on the podcast again, you gave me a list of like 10 things where you're like, oh, we'd be happy to talk about this. And Roni Kenshin was one of those. So like, what is Roni Kenshin to you? Yeah, sure. Um, so Roni Kenshin was one of the first anime that um, came out on Toonami when I was super into it. Um, and... I, you know, I, I like swords and I liked it, them then as well. Um, again, the, the, the pickings were slim, but anything with action who had a rel- like relatively mild mannered protagonist sounded pretty good to me. Um, but also I, I did watch, like I mentioned, uh, we picked up a copy of Samurai X like a year or so after the anime was ported over to the U.S not knowing it was the same thing and then quickly upon watching it realizing it was the same thing also it was subbed which at that point i wasn't super used to now i prefer it with like I, there's a lot of english language things that I, I changed to another language because i'm not interested in regular like in american voice acting but anyway um samurai x was an experience like the action in that anime like was beyond anything i had ever seen before it is was the best animated combat i might have still ever seen i'm not sure but but yeah that made a huge impression and a bunch of animated music videos like uh, involving linkin park like and the super like dark mood of of samurai x were became pretty popular and i was pretty into those as well yeah, that's like that's like super relatable to my experience. Except I never actually got the Samurai X uh, 
thing from the store or the rental place. There was this one, I don't know if you all remember this, in Beaverton, there was just a Japanese video store. And their rentals were mostly not in English, but some of them had subtitles. And I just kept seeing that on the shelf. I'd mostly go in there to look because I knew I wouldn't understand it. But Oh, and I should mention Samurai X, the Rurouni OVA is a prequel series that came out after the anime series, or at least most of it, ended. Um, and so it, it involves everything that made like, like, it depicted how Tension's life became like, like why he is the way he is. It's super violent. It's him being a child soldier trying to like, um, quickly end a revolution in his side's favor. And he's like, depicted as maybe the second greatest warrior in the world. So that's sort of generally what Kenshin is about, right? For anyone who, listening to this, he doesn't know, which is nobody, right? <laughs> Only um, me. <laughs> right. So Amato. So Kenshin is about this wandering ex samurai <laughs> or ex revolutionary warrior, I guess, um, who's like feared and known as the, like the manslayer or whatever. Actually, Go ahead. Yeah, he was a part of the like imperial. Um, what do you call it? Shoot, he wasn't a rogue samurai before. He was actually part of an imperial group that was trying to like. Wasn't he part of the revolutionary it. group that overthrew the shogunate? No, I thought he was part of the shogunate. Was he part of the shogunate? Okay, because I, I don't remember. I'm pretty sure he started when he was Batosa, he was part of the shogun. I, I will look this up that, really quick because I would be really bad at myself if I was wrong. That's a but normal, that was. you know, that would be a normal storytelling thing for him to have been on the losing side, right? That would make a lot mm -hmm. more sense. <laughs> yeah, especially since his, his exploits in the anime and, you know, the manga... Um, after he he did all of this stuff in the war, involve like the lingering consequences of war, which include a bunch of people who hate him for killing his their loved ones, and then a bunch of like imperials or ex revolutionaries of other factions who hate revolutionaries of other factions. Um, but yeah, he in in the anime slash manga when we meet him is just trying to like live a peaceful life. I mean, he's right. sort of just trying to like, he's not quite as idealistic as like some of the monastic protagonists who are like, I will never ever take another life. He's like, I'm going to try really dang hard. I'm going to have a sword. That's like, it's really hard to kill people with. But if someone's being like someone innocent is being attacked, maybe I'll kill them. Right. You know, sure. something like that. Yeah, it makes sense. Um, again, I'm just relating it to Usagi Ojimbo, where like Usagi tries not to kill people, but he ends up needing to kill people all the friggin' time for one reason or another. <laughs> With great power. Anyway, yeah. So yeah, I got I got the general gist of Veroni Kenshin. I you know was able to read the fanfic and follow it along just fine. I think. Uh, you, hopefully, you'll let me know if that's not the case. And to introduce yeah. our fanfic itself, the fanfic is called Fever Dreams, and it was written by an author called Sekihara Tai. And you can find it. Oh, and by the way, it was the winner of the Roroni Kenshin Reader's Choice Fan Fiction Awards, this fanfic of the year, flat out winner, for the year 2000. As usual, we have no idea how prestigious that is or like what the competition was like, but 
you know, it was one of the reasons that I had this on my list is because someone at some point praised it and thought it was good in a super official manner. And it made me happy hearing you talk about AMVs with like Linkin Park and, you know, video rental stores, because this again is from the very late 90s. And it's still up on the author's website, sekihadatai.com, and I'm going to provide a link. And it's got, it's such like a treasure trove. It's pretty nice looking for, you know, a personal website of the era. But for example, when you open up the main fanfiction page, it's got uh, web rings. It's got two web rings, in fact, the Roni Kenshin fanfiction web ring and the anime fanfiction ring. And it's got like weird little semi-interactive HTML things that you can do, like for trying to outdrink Sanosuke, uh, Sano on like one of the pages. It's like just of such an era. And when you go to the specific page for this fanfic, Fever Dreams, it's like back background, cool fan art. Um, you know, it's like it's like Pokemon Master, right? A lot that like kind Pokemon of vibe. Master, yeah. It looks mm. good. It is also yeah. looks very, very year two thousand. Very period, right? Maybe. I Late love it. Nineties web page <sighs> fan fiction. For, and I'm not for... gonna lie, like. As much as it gives me nostalgia, and I think it's like an aesthetic sensibility to put dark red text on a black background, or it's not like dark, dark, but it's a deep red. It's a little hard to read. I mean, we have in general evolved past that aesthetic, I feel like. Yeah. yeah. But, <laughs> but it definitely made you take the fanfic seriously back in 2000. Oh, yeah. For sure. And like I like that internal consistency across the web page. Like it's all black backgrounds. Then had someone else they credited do some art for. I I don't know if they transitioned an original image or not. If they drew it, but they had like a white outline of Kenshin mm-hmm. over the main page. I think it's pretty aesthetically pleasing, and that is something I miss about those old sites. As I've said before, yeah, it's a product of passion. Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, and you had to work much harder to make these web pages. You had to like do html and la 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 <laughs> that's true yeah. now the author must have been um or must still be activish online because this fanfic is on ao3 and i'll provide a link to both of those because ao3 has certain benefits like if you want to download it as a ebook reader file or you know have it all on one page so that a program can read it to you or anything like that um it has advantages over the original website but i still encourage you to go check that one out and I guess we can jump into it, right? It's called Fever Dreams. It's in five chapters. Does one of you want to lay out the basic situation at the start of the fanfic? Sure. Um, the, the fanfic is, it switches perspectives a little bit, but it starts out with Kaoru reacting to the three sort of main characters of the first season of Roni Kenshin which are Kenshin, the ex Watosai uh, Hitokiri killer person, Sano, a friend who had a huge sword and was sort of a ruffian before Kenshin sort of convinced him to change his ways and rub off his edges. And, and then um, Yahiko, who is sort of a young ex-thief uh, protege of all of them. Basically, and then Kaoru uh, is a is a woman who is 
got a, a love connection with Kenshin and runs a dojo for Kendo. And Kenshin just sort of, I guess, hangs out there, lives lives there as a guest. Um, but they have all three of the our troublemakers have fallen into, I guess, a pretty cold lake. Um, it, it was iced over, I think. And uh, they are developing fantastic head colds. Um, because boys will be boys. Well, that right. was one thing. It's like, I know they didn't, they wanted to open it in media res here with like everybody having the colds and just refer to the incident. But I was pretty unclear about what happened where like they were trying to help an old lady who was out on ice in the middle of a lake or I guess, but they never explained yep. why that would have been or really I, how exactly she didn't fall in when all three of them did. I mean, I, I guess I can imagine something, but yeah, apparently that so wasn't went... the point, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. I know it, it wasn't I, the point, but I guess it was a river. So maybe there's just rivers just sort of across paths at various parts of the area. I don't know. Sure. Yeah. And so it starts off in this first chapter with kind of some like cute domesticity and like, you know, these, especially in the case of Sano, like big, like masculine performing guy needing to be tended to because he's got like a cold. And obviously Kenshin himself kind of fades into the background in this chapter by design because he's he's a perfect patient. He's like an extremely chill dude most of the time. And he's not going to raise a fuss over like having to like lay down and rest and drink warm liquids or whatever. Yes, I, I I know Tara had mentioned this before, but like that is such the sort of endearing thing about Kenshin as a series. You know, you have this protagonist who has definitely a dark past, now vowed himself to pacifism. But not only that, he's kind of like cute and very unassuming now. You know, he worries about everyone else. Um, so he's got this refrain. That is, he shouldn't make, uh, what's her name? Ka- Kauru? Mm. Right. Yeah. Shouldn't make Kauru, Kauru worry. Kauru, yeah. Shouldn't make her worry, which comes up a little bit later. But yeah, everybody's sick and we get a little bit of a thing with like Kauru caring for Yaiko, who is a typical brat and calls her old hag, which I actually think in the Japanese, she probably just calls, he probably just calls her Obasan or something. Oh, but that's in so, the, yeah. Yeah, in the dub, they used old hag, which uh, doesn't really old, old work. Old lady for... would probably be yeah. about strong enough. Yeah, right. I mean, assuming that it is, in fact, Obasan, but, you know. Yeah, I don't know. Oh, I guess that, that does raise a thing about the writing. There's a fair bit of fan Japanese in here. Oh, and... yeah, the first line is fan Japanese. Yeah. And... Um, not a big fan. And we usually aren't around here, I think. It's like, at some point, it feels kind of like a Japanese comprehension check. And like, it's, I've got no problem with any of this, obviously. But I'm like, if, you know, a casual fan might not have picked up all these phrases and words that you're using, right? Like, they might not have so. They might not even not have oyasumi nasai. And I feel like there's things that are valid to keep. Like, the... Um, you know, name suffixes or such, where it's just like, look, anime fans probably get it, and trying to translate it is kind of a pain anyway. And then there's things that, like, you need to keep, like Kenshin saying ororo or whatever, 
that's not even meaningful. That's just like a thing he says. Like, obviously, he's going to keep saying Ororo. It means just as much in English as it does in Japanese. But most of it, um, not, not so useful. I think it's of note that I would categorize the necessity of fan Japanese in here sort of based on the author's notes, because at the author's notes at the end, they give you definitions for important things. And some of those are like, you know, I forget what the term is, but it's the term designed to describe, you know, the samurai set of, you know, uh, katana and wakazashi or something. Um, and they're like, they use that term. I'm like, okay, that's a very specific term. And now you give me the definition at the end of the chapter. Very good. However, some of the other things they don't give definitions for, and they are not necessary. Yeah, assuming aside, I I still don't know what that means. And and it's repeated a lot. And I don't think it's important. Like I can tell it's sort of a um you know a phatic speech, right? It was not important for it to be in Japanese. No. Yeah. Right. Exactly. That's what I mean. Yeah. I. I always read this as, especially back in the 90s, as these are fans who are sort of trying to teach themselves Japanese and are really yeah. excited. They're weebs, right? So they're like, they're, <laughs> this is their that word then, but <laughs> sorry. <laughs> they're, they're, that's their way of like reaching out to one of like, hey, we know sort of what this means. And if you don't know what it means, well, you're going to kind of learn it and then you if when you hear it in the subs, you're going to have a slightly better understanding of why we're translating this this way, right? Still, it's pretty annoying. <laughs> I think your first thing there is right, Tarn. It's a bit of a shibboleth. It's like a check that these other people are in the same in-group as you, and therefore they know what it means when a character says, daijoubu, daijoubu. Um, and right. if you don't, then like, what are you doing here? <laughs> I mean, I, that, that's not how the author intended it exactly, probably, but it, it's a little bit of that effect. Yeah, I don't want to linger too much in this digression, okay, but no, I, no. I will say, I will just, like, one last thought is just, I think there's a reason we came up with the slightly derogatory weeaboo term. Like, it was around somebody who was kind of overly obsessed with this. However, I do think that, I don't know, it's not, for somebody that wasn't so much as being, we've talked about how delightful it can be when someone gets the joke you know, even if you're the reference rather gets the reference. So maybe for some of these people it was more about getting the reference to those Japanese terms. Like I vaguely remember that being a thing, though I'm not sure if it should have been, but anyway, also just, moving on. I'll just, also just the group think of like other people do this in their fanfics. So I guess that's what we do, you know, yeah. but I yeah. still think it's, I still think it's pretty annoying to read. Right. But, but right. Tori was saying, let's just move past it because it's not, it's not that big a deal. Um, I know. Well, I said, let's move past it. And then I lingered on it. So you know me. <laughs> anyway, let's actually do that. <laughs> Go well, on. Here's, here's what I like about the first chapter is that like we were saying, it's kind of, it's mostly cute and it's mostly like um, Sano and Yahiko kind of like struggling with being patient and they have to call him Megumi. And it's like, you know, kind of cute, like interactions and that sort of thing. And then 75, 80% of the way through the fanfic, like the actual plot kicks in, which is that Actually, Kenshin's Kenshin like kind of stands up as if like everything's normal when like at one point just kind of starts doing his chores. But when Kaoru comes to check on him, he's like, you should probably be in bed. He actually has a raging fever. And like I said, I, I like how that ties into him kind of naturally fading into the background of those scenes anyway, because he's specifically not trying to raise a fuss. 
And because he was not trying to raise a fuss, like, to some extent, he was being maybe, like, it's his fault for pulling back and not, like, probably sharing his condition. But also, I, I, it makes sense why maybe they didn't quite catch how bad his fever was getting until he basically collapses on the ground at the end of chapter one. And he's also perceived as being much stronger than everyone else, mm. you know. However, I do like the structure of this because you get an in-depth sort of like first, I think it's first it's Sano and then it's Yaiko, mm -hmm. oh, one or the other. You get this perspective where like telling the story of how Karu cared for each person. And then when you back it up for the next person, you back it up for the next person. So you're like, oh, you're going to get each person in turn. Mm -hmm. But no, all we get from Kenshin is, oh, he's doing the laundry and then something about, you know, oh shit, he doesn't remember who she is, basically. Yeah, and I, I do love the, in the inversion as well, because like you said, like normally it's supposed to be like the badass, like the, the one who deals with being stabbed fairly easily. And so he just sort of like keeps his holds his tongue about his own issues and that, that becomes this massive problem. And I I also like how they reveal his illness like that. They they draw it out a little bit because it, he's, he forgets Karu's name. And so their their interaction is slightly awkward. And that's the only initial like like tr like. Uh, indication that anything's mm -hmm. wrong mm -hmm. is that he doesn't say her name. I like that a lot because that reminds me of how in real life, like some, like I will, because things aren't always super clear, I will notice something's a little off before I realize that something's really off. <laughs> um, and I also, uh, it also felt like a bit of a red herring in a good way because I was like, oh, whoa, is Ken, what is a Kenshin experiencing that he doesn't remember her name? Is it something beyond the fever? Is he like experiencing some sort of weird fugue state for some other reason? Um, and they resolve that really immediately. Like, oh no, he's just got a massive fever. Um, but I like yeah. That. In one of the author's notes at the end of chapter two, I I kind of appreciate it. Just like laid this out very clearly, where it's like fevers above one hundred one are generally considered to be dangerous. And temperatures of 103 or higher are known to cause mental confusion, which can manifest itself in a variety of ways. And if treated, there aren't any lasting effects, usually. And temperatures 106 or higher would cause lasting effects. And so I was just like, oh, okay, you just laid out your understanding of fevers, which is more than my understanding of fevers. And I'm like, okay, so like, I, I get the premise here um, of kind of how this is happening. Yeah. Yes. Um, the author's notes, they're, they're very short at the end of the chapter, usually like, you know, you know, a couple sentences about, about four things, but they're usually really informative. Like, mm -hmm. this is the research the author did, and that's how they're justifying, like, something, not even justifying something, a story, but like explaining something the reader might not know. I think that's awesome, and I really enjoyed them. But this was the only one where I was sort of like, um, having complete amnesia is not usually the result <laughs> of a fever. However, yeah. I think they shift it back around when they start talking about Kenshin's mental health later on, which I think we'll get to. Mm -hmm. Or I guess mental health is the right way to put it. But anyway, moving on. And I can understand even, even though it's a little strange, there's also like people have moments of fogginess and... I can understand like momentarily forgetting someone's name when you have a high fever, even if it's not the worst it's going to get. 
Another thing I really liked about this is that, so it's, for me, I was thinking, oh, they're, they're setting up Kenshin to be defeatable. Like they're like being, becoming sick is a way to reduce his power, which is like, I feel like a fairly common trick. Like Goku has a sudden heart in like heart uh-huh. condition or whatever. Um, but what I liked is that they set it up like all three of them get sick, right? So like everyone involved in this incident gets sick. And this is the kind of incident that would happen in Rurouni Kenshin all the time because it has like comedic moments where people fall into whatever just for laughs or, or whatnot. Um, and so it's like, oh, they, they, they scaffolded this potential weakening of Kenshin early on. I don't know what's going to happen because even though Kenshin in his various series is like, there are times he's delayed or whatever. He can't, he's not Superman. He can't do everything all at once. Um, I think it is more interesting when some other character has to solve the problem. Right. Well, I mean, I come at that from a different angle. You're talking about it kind of reducing his, um, you know, capability, but in fact, Later on the fanfic, I mean, I'm skipping ahead a bit, but like Kenshin gets so delirious that like he's not, he's potentially a danger to others. And when like Sano's confronting him at one point, he's like, oh yeah, this guy's clearly like practically falling over from sickness, but he's still like really scared of Kenshin because he's like, I've seen Kenshin pull victories out of like just being in totally terrible shape. I feel like if he wanted to kill me, he wouldn't let the fact that he's practically like, you know, dying of this fever stop him from murdering me like he probably would still find a way to do that yeah no it's a good it's a great point no that's the thing is it's a totally believable you know i guess we'll get there but danger in the fanfic knowing that kenshin is super strong and it's furthermore proved by the fact that like yaiko and sano got babied during their well not baby uh, well a little bit during their fever kaoru did like everything for them and, like, she just sort of was like, oh, Kenshin's gonna be fine, because he's super tough. In the meantime, he got, like, his fever got so bad that he got fucking complete amnesia. And I guess that's where we're going. Everybody, he forgets everybody. And he's trying to hang in there, like, he's a little delirious, like, he's like, uh, the main thing he holds on to is that he trusts Karu. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody else seems a little bit more like a stranger. And that phrase you mentioned that he doesn't want Kaoru mm-hmm. to worry, like it floats through oh, his mind yes. at several occasions. It's a refrain, yeah. Yeah. And that's what kind of keeps him from disclosing the extent of his condition to anyone. Yeah, and and moving on, so so chapter two is basically what we're talking about. It's mm-hmm. him being him be- being sick, becoming sicker, everyone like getting on board with the idea that Kenshin's in a really, really bad shape. Um, I didn't actually write almost any notes for chapter two, and I'm curious what y'all thought about it. Um, I mean, it's, it's stage setting. It, it like kind of sets the stakes. We've got like that scene where, you know, Megumi gets to look him over because, um, Kaoru convinces him to let her do that. And then she kind of like says the premise, right? Like he's got a he fever he only agreed to let me treat him because of his trust in Kaoru. The next time he wakes, he may not recognize anyone nor be as docile. Keep that in mind. Remember to talk to him in a soft, calm voice. Agree with him if he recognizes you as a friend, even if he is mistaken in that recognition. And so it's kind of like, sometimes it feels like the 
the stakes are less will he get over the fever and more just like what's going to happen while he has the fever, which again, I think is kind of a more interesting angle to come at it from, really. Yeah. Yeah, we're recognizing already that um, I think the author's take on this becomes more clear later on is that like, I think we get this from the anime. It's been a long time since I've seen it, but there is this thing where like when Kenshin can be triggered into, I don't know, having his Batosai personality come out. Like that even indicates a change in his, you know, the way his eyes look, um, mm-hmm. even their color, I think, um, in the anime. So we're basically going like this man who has, you know, by the way, if you know the source, I don't know why he doesn't just like not have a sword or have a wooden sword or something. I guess he has to defend himself, but he has a reverse blade, like the blade is on the other side of the katana. However, when he's in Batosai mode, he'll switch it over and use a reverse style so that he can use the blade lethally. Um, not that you couldn't use a dull katana blade lethally, but yeah, I'm not going to go into that. Point being, point being, that there's a recognition that he could, in his delirium, be triggered into this mode, and that makes it a danger. The other thing I want to say is, I don't understand why Megumi says, even if that assertion of friendship is not true, because like, it's clear that they're all friends, right? Like, well, yes. She meant like if he, rec- if he recognizes them as being someone else, they should just roll with it. Is what oh, she's saying. Oh, okay. No, I didn't not that like if he that. if he thinks they're a friend when actually like they hate his guts or whatever. That's not what she's getting at. Got it. Got it. Got it. Yeah. Um, I I just want to say in relation to the using the flat end of the blade, um, trope in like samurai media. And I just like that point early on in Slayer's Next where like Selgatis attacks some thugs or something like, you know, cuts through them in like samurai style with a sword. And he's like, don't worry, I use the flat of my blade. Then he looks at his blade and it's like a, you know, European style two blade, like double bladed sword. He's like, oh, wait, this the sword has two blades. Sorry. And they're just, they're just dead behind him. It's great. Great samurai joke. I remember watching that and not getting it. I was like, what, what don't do you, all swords have two bladed sides? Yeah. Right. Right. <laughs> I liked Megumi's um I liked Megumi's advice uh because I mean for one for one thing she seems a little bit too good of a doctor even like in the anime or or, or whatever <laughs> for the period like she seems to be a sort of a miracle worker. Yeah, well Kenshin's um, a little bit too good of a swordsman for the period, so mm-hmm. so it's more coincidental that they would <laughs> hang out together, right? Um Maybe not. No, that's just pure <laughs> shonen stuff. Everybody with superpowers just draws to each other. It's like right. magnets. They all have magnets attached to their bodies. It's the power of magnetism. It's, yeah, it's their spirit. Um, one thing I wanted to ask. So there's a, there's, a, there's a way that Kenshin dies in what I think is canon. And I'm curious, Amato, given that you aren't, I don't think, familiar, if you would like the spoiler for it. Sure, he dies. How does he die? So he dies of a a disease, um, which he which which can be transmitted sexually. Okay. Um, and he gives it to Kaoru, and then they both get very very sick, and then uh, Kenshin dies. And I, I'm bringing that up because a lot of people had a very weird like 
weird is not the word very um mixed reactions to that end to kenshin like a lot of people want wanted him to die in some other way my own reaction was mixed because i was like okay you know you have this illness and you're sort of deliberately giving it to what kaoru who is then his wife um which seems strange uh that seems strange yes on the other hand their husband and wife maybe they're just assuming you know They'll go out together. Certain things will just happen. Yeah, they'll go out together. And that's how it's explained. Like, she wants to feel his pain or whatever. But anyway, this chapter was was interesting to me because it. The other another reaction to that was like, wait, he suddenly has a disease in this like movie of this OV, this OVA, uh, this two episode movie, basically. Um, we've never heard of before and he dies from it. And we don't see him like anyone try to treat it or anything like that. This chapter was like, oh, they're treating an illness. Kenshin has like very seriously. Mm-hmm. It could be like, in a way, sort of a, a substitute for the lack of like illness progression closure of like, we just want our protagonist to be like treated better than ignoring his illness until he dies from it in, in the OVA. It could be a reaction. I don't know what the time frame is of mm. when things came out for Roni Kenshin and whether it was like, oh. totally wrapped up at this point. The fanfic's definitely o- older than uh-huh. the OVA. Yeah, I see. But kind of, that's interesting that it kind of like foreshadows that as like one of the avenues of attack to the character of Kenshin. Yeah, I would like to mention though that it's it's not necessarily true that the author had access to the OVA. Oh no. No, that's what that's what we're saying. The author did not have access. It hadn't been made oh, yet. Oh, yeah. oh, oh, sorry. I misinterpreted that. Yeah. Yeah. That is really interesting, though. It could have been that there was some interview he gave the the author of the manga. Well, also, um, yeah, it happens in the manga, but we didn't have the manga here in the U.S. Like, it seems like this author was working just on the anime, as far as I can tell. I mean, you know, I, it's hard to excavate unless we ask them what was known, because sometimes it's like, oh, there's summaries of the manga out, you know, in the internet in like these fandom circles or whatever. Who knows? But getting back to the fanfic itself, this chapter three, I, one of you mentioned that kind of like the complete amnesia is like doesn't really ring true. But I think in chapter three, it starts playing up the uh, what what seems like kind of a more... I don't know about believable, but like it, it feels better kind of angle of his mental confusion, which is him confusing people in the present with people from his past. And specifically, he's dwelling on this incident where apparently another loved one of his was murdered. And that must be very significant in his background that I do not remember. And he conflates that woman with Karu in his mind reasonably heavily. And that's kind of, um, that's kind of a large part of what's happening here in in chapter three. Yeah, what I, I like about this pacing, um, this fanfic is not super long. No. Like, I thought it would be longer, but it divides things really well. And it, it gives tones and moods to each section, as well as theming. So, like, section two, or chapter two, I mean, is, like, it's very physical. It's very, like, Kenshin being, like, delirious and like feeling the cold ice they're putting on his body to bring about his fever and 
and the bad touch of Sano having to like take off his clothes. Chapter three is much more in the dreamscape. So yeah, he starts to conflate Karu with, um, is she given a name? The woman that he loved. I- I'm sure she's given a so name. She's given a name. Yes. Satsa. Tomoe. Or Tomoe. Tomoe. Yeah. 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 Tomoe. Yeah. I remember. Who, who is- it was the female protagonist of the OVA Samurai X. Mm-hmm. I think Roroni Kenshin is called Love and something. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, Tomoe. That's right. Yes. So he's starting to have these fever dreams in which not only is he seeing, you know, her killed, Tomoe killed, who who was killed, I think because he couldn't. Oh, wait a second. No, she was Back me up. Tell me, tell me what happened, Taran. You know, right? If I do, it'll be spoiler for the chapter four. That's the problem here, because that's okay. As it turns, as it turns out, um, this the fever is a setup for Kenshin reenacting the most traumatic moment of his life, which is when he accidentally kills someone he falls in love with in the OVA. Right, and. Yeah. And let's back up a little bit on that because chapter three closes out with, um, I mean, you know, Kenshin, who's delirious, is like getting up and like staggering around because he's not totally sure where he is. And, um, oh, he hears a, a scream like of, of despair because, or like anguish or whatever. Because Kaoru is over in the other room being comforted by Sano in, in a totally brother way, like, you know, in brother figure or whatever. Because she's understandably, like, blaming herself. She's like, oh, I didn't pay enough attention to Kenshin when we were taking care of them. And he's having to reassure her, you checked in with him just as often as us. It's just that we were the ones calling for you all the time for this extra stuff. Like, you were doing... And he just was not... Not calling on you as much. And also, you were checking on all of us more often than Megumi actually, like, instructed you to. Like, you were providing fine care. And so he's he's providing that reassurance to her. But like she's still crying and sobbing, and that's what gets Veroni. That, that gets Veroni. That's if that's his name. That's sorry. That's what gets Kenshin. That's what gets Usagi Ojimbo out of his bed and like staggering over with his sword to be like, "Oh no, my loved one's in trouble." And that gets us the cliffhanger of him like walking in on them, being mentally not all there with a sword um, for chapter four. Yeah. Well, what I was going to say about chapter three is it's, yeah, it's mostly in his dreamscape reliving that sort of, you know, death he experienced by not being able to stop himself. But this time, Kaoru's involved and, oh, it's her now. It's being conflated. But also, someone else is, is hurting her. Oh, no, I have to stop them. So he's completely delirious. Uh, Sano basically just surprises her, you know, by showing up behind her because he's also a little bit like, recovered but not totally on his feet so yeah that's the start of chapter four is he kenshin hears the scream of her being surprised uh sano is actually being very compassionate you know she starts to cry he holds her in his arms but of course kenshin walks in (laughs) he's holding her and she has recently screamed as he has heard it so this is not going well for delirious kenshin and the situation, as we can already tell, especially based on the conflation he had in his own dreamscape that has occupied most of chapter three. 
Yeah, and there's broken pottery on the ground. So mm, it looks right, like she dropped the ball, yeah. Um, so, not to stay in Chapter 3 after <laughs> foreshadowing Chapter 4 like five times, but something that's super important for me as as a uh, ingester of Kenshin media is how the author of, of Rurouni Kenshin and heck how this author deals with Kenshin's views of Kaoru and Tomoe. I'm not sure how to say that perfectly. Yeah, I was right. Tomoe. Um, Tomoe. Because for one thing, they look super similar. Um, it's sort of like a, a Kiki. Is it Kikyo and, and who in Inuyasha? Yeah. And Kagome. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's, they look super similar. Um, and they're both like really important love interests in his life. But unlike other anime, that isn't like super relevant all the time. Like Kaoru knows about, uh, eventually knows about Tomoe, but like, doesn't really care that much that they're like pretty similar and like she's almost like a replacement or as, as far as I remember. Um, but for me, like that's the weirdest thing about Kenshin's interest in Kaoru is like he's just going, he's, he's living his life in the anime and the manga being sort of obsessed with someone who looks like someone he used to be in love with. And it's never investigated. It is never challenged. It's never, you know, there's like no one really cares. But in this this particular situation, the fact that he's confusing Kaoru from someone he he failed to protect or accidentally killed, even though like really wasn't his fault. Everybody just just to be clear, like she was being attacked by other people. Anyway, you're going to say something, Tori? Oh, no, no. I, I was just going to say that 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 is something that, like, because I don't fully remember the series that sort of came up for me in this. Like, in his fever, when he's having nightmares, he's conflating her, you know, and, and the hair ribbon becomes a thing. It made me question, like, did Tomoe also have this hair ribbon that he's talking about? Or is this like a total construction of um, the fever dream? If I'm remembering correctly, that's the major distinction in their appearance. And so anytime uh, the ribbon is focused so, on, so it's like the, yeah. he's, he's seeing her as like her own individual right. instead of a conflation oh. of the two. It's super weird. Like the ribbon will fly out of her hair, you know, in his dreams and she'll become like a different person up like that. I don't know. We could move on from that. But like I understand now exactly where the author was getting that imagery. Oh, that's really yeah. cool. Yeah, I didn't appreciate all of that. Um, I didn't appreciate why that... I, I thought he was just conflating them because they were important women in his life, and not that, like, it's very understandable, in fact, that his that he would recognize her as being Tomoe, mm-hmm. even if that is it, creepy in general, yes. It's something I think is really delicately done, like, especially, like, going back and remembering reading one or two other Kenshin fanfics, and, like, they're they're being super, super obvious about what connection they're trying to make between like Kenshin's feelings for the two, instead of like making the, this sort of passive, Oh, he's seeing her like 
they're he's literally mixing up his experiences with them in his mind and we're not entirely sure exactly when those transitionings transitions are happening hmm. yeah, I, th- I think it's very good praise for the author that they they drew so heavily from the source material but yeah that that's actually a big point in chapter four because obviously um i think the author is trying to draw a connection between I mean, also, I would almost call it dissociative identity disorder. Like, this idea that Kenshin becomes Batosai when he remembers this trauma of having lost the woman he loves. And for what you've said, there's plenty of groundwork for that. It all kind of falls together. Mm-hmm. Um, in this fanfic in Chapter 4, they try to talk him down. And, you know, Karu directly is like, he was not hurting me. Like, you know, everything's fine. Trust me, come sit down or whatever. And... He's kind of like almost ready to do that. And I like the way that it falls apart, like for very specific mental reasons. For one thing, um, I like this paragraph where on some level Kenshin heard and understood what they were saying. The name Sano struck a familiar chord, but his memories were confusing. He'd fought this man before, more than once. Once could be a misunderstanding, but twice? Why? Obligingly, his fever-ravaged mind supplied a reason. Focusing on the crystal-clear memory of her voice screaming his name, this man had been warned away before. And I was like, oh, okay, like, I I mean, I have no idea what actual, how similar, how, like, realistic this is, but it, it's nice that it's very specific. And then beyond that, what actually like she tries to calm him down again from there but like and after that there's another thing that triggers him actually fighting which is sano taking a step forward because sano thinks that he's calmed down and it's safe to like you know step forward and and it's not and in fact he was not mentally like ready for that and he responds as per danger and you know it becomes a fight yeah even beyond that so i mean essentially there's a fight that has a little bit of a back and forth like Obviously, Sano is trying to calm Kenshin down, return him to Kenshin mode instead of a Tosai mode or or whatever. Um, but it doesn't work, and they continue to fight. But there's also another instance where um, Kenshin like recalls a scream that Kaoru had during the first fight because she's also screaming, saying like, "Stop this! I don't want you to fight Sano. I care about both of you." but he's too far gone. But he hears her yell and it it triggers again a memory of a fight he had, of the first fight he had with Sano. And I think the author does a really good job of saying like, I don't remember the, the context they're trying to evoke, but of saying like, oh, even though the scream at that time was a different context, he's reinterpreting it in the context of like, oh no, she's screaming because she's in trouble. So it just keeps kind of going on and you know it's delirium, and you know it's wrong, but it's like you can't really say it. You can't do anything about it. No one can. It feels very desperate, I suppose. It it feels desperate, and it feels realistic. Um, uh, I don't know how realistic it is, but it it's written in a way where I... And also, like, Kenshin, Kenshin is written with the sort of fury that, like, I recognize from, like, Roni Kenshin to the point where I stopped reading during this fight several times, like ostensibly to take notes about how it was making me feel, but also because I was kind of nervous that Kenshin was just about to s- slice his best friend in half, you know, like 
I was legitimately like, whoa, this is, this is actually pretty serious. Um, <laughs> and I am believing what is happening right now, which is pretty cool. Yeah. That's the crazy thing about fanfic is anything can happen. So I was on the same right. edge of my seat, yeah. like, fuck, this could go really dark, really fast. It's not like the author had signaled to us as readers that this will not go very dark. Like, right, it's on the table. Right. Like, and like you said, even even if that would happen in the source material, like, you don't know. Look, the text is red on a black background. <laughs> right. True, yeah. yeah. It's like a very blood red. That was the way I should have described it before. Yeah, and and the way that they so, like, like the the buildup of resolution in Kenshin's mind of like, oh, there's this little little obstacle to treating Sano as an enemy. Okay, we're gonna we're gonna play that out. Like, okay, Kaoru saying he's okay, Kenshin's sort of listening, but things are getting more and more like he's like, um, Sano's seems to be a bit too relaxed. You know, whatever whenever whatever his explanation is in his head. It feels like he's overcoming sort of his sort of his new persona of niceness to get to that like battle hardened going to preemptively attack like and, and take out a threat to protect someone he or to protect his mission, which is taking care of this person, right? Now, because his main impulse is to protect Karu, and Karu understands this, like she like, she gets that. She's not, like, oblivious to, you know, what he's trying to do here or anything like that. Uh, the obvious thing for her to do is physically interpose herself. And I spent the first part of this fight being, like, she just needs to, like, get in there and, like, stand physically in front of Sano. But then also, you know, by the time she actually does do that, I realized, oh, shit. But that means if the author wanted to go this way, if he actually did accidentally kill her because she was interposing herself that would be just the most hilariously dark way to just destroy kenshin's mind like if that for a moment i was like oh no is that how she's going to end this oh so, sorry i don't i was assuming the author's gender there is that how the author's going to end this yeah uh but no it's not quite that dark either yeah that's one way i would have disliked the outcome here and the other way I would have disliked the outcome here is how it actually came out. Okay. <laughs> so I, like I may have foreshadowed earlier, I felt kind of cheated when we got to the point of her interposing herself because I had been like reading along and being like, oh, wow, I'm very gripped by this. Like, this seems like a, a pretty, like a natural scenario if, if Kenshin is having significant, like, hallucinations and, and fever dreams and whatever. And then to reconstruct the same scene that occurs in the OVA, like as a way of like clearly as a way of helping Kenshin get catharsis about what happened at that time. Like, you know, like really you couldn't have done anything that's a, like a little bit less exactly the same thing. Well, that just sounds you know, thematically cohesive. That sounds like, yeah, you know, deliberately trying to make it resonant, right? You think it was too on the nose? <laughs> I do. I thought it was on the nose. Um, I still think this is the best fanfic I've read of the fanfics I've read of everyone. So even though I have this quibble, my my quibble to my quibble, or my 
my um my my answer to my own pettiness about this particular thing is that I still think this is incredibly written and you know who am I well, I think <laughs> as a reader I'm a bit too invested in my own desire for how things go like the fact that this is so well written I don't know what I'm talking about you know that's <laughs> that's one that's one reaction I have to my own thoughts about this but yeah so he doesn't hit Kauru. That is different. Like he comes very, very close to um, and that's good. That's nice. <laughs> I actually really like that description because, like, okay, I have some other issues that I'm gonna probably come back to in criticism with like how the fight is described. But like this part was like, yes, he stops himself just before, but he still has momentum, so he has to like fling his wide his arms wide open and grab her and hug her and like go rolling over and over with her protecting her towards the end. And then of course there's a lot of like crying into each other's arms and comforting. Mm -hmm. But something I really actually liked about this part, I don't know, I can't necessarily speak to the similarity that Taran was talking about because I don't remember that very well. Mm. But I like that in this part, it's like, I don't know. It feels like they're talking a lot about the shift between the Batosai and the Kenshin personalities and how they're becoming unified. And it's funny because I was like just having a conversation the other day with someone about if someone is responsible for the actions of their alters. And like Kenshin clearly feels responsible for Batosai's actions, but the fanfic makes them out to be distinct personalities. However, there's this point where, like, when he has the golden eyes or amber eyes of Batosai, he says Oro, which is the thing only Kenshin says. So it feels like this is supposed to be kind of like a healing thing for Kenshin's identities to sort of come together. It's a little abstract, but I kind of yeah. like the implication, you know, like this emotional healing because of the repeated trauma, but this time it had a better result. Yeah, and I also like that um, that is that is suggested a couple of times. Like you know, a couple of times they comment on like, oh, that that mixing seeming to occur or whatever. But it's not, a big deal's not made out of it. It's not like he wakes up and he's like, oh, my emotional trauma has been healed or whatever. Like, there's it's not made out to be a path resolution. So I like that too. That it's kind of like like you said, it seems like it seems like good steps, but it's not more is not made of it than needs to be either. Yeah. And so then chapter five is mostly falling action, people checking in that like, you know, Sano's all right, Megumi gets called back in, Kenshin's fever breaks, that kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. There's one slightly unnecessary thing, which is at the end of chapter four, um, he says goodnight to Kaoru after she puts him to bed, and he includes Kaoru Dono, as he calls her in his speech, but she closes the door so she can hear him. So Kaoru's worried at the beginning of chapter five that he's not back to himself. I'm like, dude, that's... I don't know why, but anyway. Yeah, I, I didn't get the point of that either, um, because it doesn't end up mattering at all. Right, because <laughs> so we as like... the reader know not to be worried anymore. Anyway, moving on. Sorry. I mean, no, no, it's fine. The title of chapter five is also Dreams, and there's about three different 
just dreams that Kenshin's having that appear to just be memories and memories of his Kenshin life, you know, of this era here with Kaoru. And like, they're nice. I'm not, um, I'm not sure what to make of them in general, except that I, as a pretty unfamiliar with Roni Kenshin person, actually did appreciate like seeing a few scenes of people outside the context of this story just to be like, oh, how do Kaoru and Kenshin kind of act together? Um, if they're like alone in private, not in this desperate situation, um, and you know, get a, a little bit of that, that sort of thing. I I think so. I think this might have been a way of tying up the entire Roroni Kenshin series because I don't think it ends in a particularly like whimsical way. I don't think it like sort of shows. It has. I don't think it has an epilogue. Like I, I think he made the author of Kenshin made one later, but I think at this point there's probably a lot of people like seeking catharsis and like everything turned out all right. Like they they had like what were their lives like after all of this violence in Kyoto happened, right? Um, so I, I, I that's how I would interpret this is just the like this fanfic author trying to sort of give us sort of a slice of Kenshin's after fighting life. Um, but I didn't think it was particularly interesting. Right. Certainly not in comparison. Like if this had kind of been the fanfic or the main part of the fanfic, it was just this like cute little, you know, slice of life travel. I wouldn't have come away with a whole lot to say about it. Um, but, you know, after those dream sequences, all of which focus on Kaoru, um, and I guess I think the other idea is just that, like, this is kind of him. This is the fanfic kind of showing him coming back to his present and how his present is fairly focused on Kaoru. And that's like kind of the cornerstone of what he's thinking about in this stage of his life. And then, you know, he wakes up and he gets to find out he had a fever for three days and thank her for caring for him and, um, you know, apologize for making her worry and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and I think the intention of chapter five was to be a juxtaposition to the nightmare chapter, which was chapter three. Mm. Um, was mm. it chapter three? Yeah, I think so. You mentioned earlier, Tori, it is very nice having a fanfic split into five chapters and having those chapters mm -hmm. actually have different like themes or focuses. So we can say like this chapter was mostly about this and or even remember what was in each chapter. I feel like a lot of the time a chapter is just kind of like, when the author felt like stopping writing and they don't always have kind of like a reason to be a chapter, but these all do. Right. Yeah. And like I mentioned before, like there is a kind of chapter to chapter consistency. You got a nightmare chapter and you've got a good dream chapter. Like mm -hmm. that shows healing, which was mentioned, you know, the unification of personalities, because we all know Kenshin has hella trauma from killing a lot of people. Right. And feeling bad about himself and not being able to, you know, not only save, you know, the woman he loved, but stop himself from accidentally killing her. So having done this, which is I feel like, I don't know, maybe that's a big thing I like about this fanfic is it's like it was very clear in saying we want to have Kenshin do the same exact thing, but this time succeed. Right. <laughs> and that's a big healing point. Yeah, it's so clear that the author kind of talks about it in at the author's notes in chapter four. 
is chapter three is titled Batosai Awakens. Oh, sorry, Batosai Awakes. And chapter four is titled Exercising the Demon. And the author's just like, mm-hmm. yeah, that refers to two things. It refers to Batos, the Batosai personality being the demon and refers to like the, you know, demons of memory of like being able to put to some extent, like resolve this terrible traumatizing memory he has. And I'm just like, okay, that that's good thinking. That's like well thought out. Yeah. You, you did it as you described it. Uh, so very intentional, this fanfic. But it was also cool that like, it was more a unification of the two disparate personalities that were originally part of the same individual too. They weren't saying like, Batosa is the evil half. They were saying like, Batosa is the tortured half that needs to be, you know, placated and united with the pacifistic part. So hmm. who knows? We don't have an epilogue for this that will tell us that Kenshin's like a more healed person, but it it is an optimistic ending. And I think it's kind of sweet. I think it's very heavily implied that he's pretty much good now. Um, maybe, maybe not, but hmm. I feel like it is a very calming ending. Yeah, it even ends with one last dream, which is a particularly just calm dream of just like him and Karu sitting under a tree and, you know, some sense memories there. Um, yeah. That brings us to the end of the fanfic. Again, it's not that long. I think, what was it, 18,000 or less words? Mm-hmm. Um, something along those lines. And I think we're in a position to share final thoughts, unless there's anything you two want to talk about that we glossed over. Nope. Okay. Then we start off complaining about things or pointing out things that we think could have been done better in a fanfic. And then we close on praise so that we end on a good note like the fanfic. First, we have to have the horrible, delirious trauma here that we're about to inflict on this poor author. So what <laughs> do we think could have been improved in this fanfic? I have like a really, I don't know, the source is a minor thing to pick on. But because action was such a big part of this fanfic, I had a really hard time visualizing some of the action scenes and maybe this is because i hadn't re-familiarized myself with uh, the anime physics of veroni kenshin but there's this here's a quote sano ducked under as the sakaba i think that's how you say it uh kenshin sword came towards his head only the slight hesitation in the swing a side effect of the other's lingering dizziness allowed him to escape compensating immediately batosai altered his attack striking Sano in the back with his elbow. So think about that. He's swinging a sword that you require two hands to use. Sano ducks. Where does the Kenshin's elbow come from? And then mm. furthermore, it says his own efforts to escape, referring to Sano, and the initial swing of the sword combined with the force of the blo- uh, combined with the force of the blow to send Sano tumbling to the floor. Like, in some way, he's ducking back in to the elbow, the elbow would have would have to have reversed itself. Sano might have even had to have reversed himself, and there's no way there's momentum from his elbow driving into his back, like his chest, maybe right. If you went under, not his back. Well, for one thing, remember that he's using the flat side of his elbow, not the sharp <laughs> side. Oh, of course. Well, that explains everything. I I totally hear you, and I think you're you're right. When I was reading the action parts, I typically don't like action scenes anymore. Um, 
And I, I had the same reaction I do with this, which was like, I'm just imagining in my head, oh, there's extra stuff that's happening that the author is not describing. I mean, it's not great, like, action <laughs> storytelling. But yeah, no, I I, <laughs> I hear you. Yeah, like, I read that over that, like, that's not the only one, but I, I won't linger too long. It's just that one in particular, I read over and over and over, just trying to visualize it, and I literally couldn't. Like, I'm okay if the physics are anime physics or they're out of crazy nonsense, but I was like, the body positions, the blocking of it, I could not pick it up. So that's my major criticism. That being said, if that's my major criticism of like a couple lines in the spite scene, then it's yeah, it's probably pretty good fanfic. Yeah, it's such a small part of the fanfic, really. Yeah, yeah we will. To, yeah, pretty much, actually. Yeah. I have uh, two uh, two other little quibbles one is i don't know if i would have kept reading after chapter one if i hadn't planned to um like it's well written but nothing really gripped me plot wise aside from the memory loss it's like oh kenshin might be sick oh no um (laughs) that's sort of how i was reacting though chapter two chapter three you know I, i found myself caught up in the story so not a not a big deal um, and then there's a part in chapter four where Sano's reacting to Kenshin entering the situation and being the Tosai Kenshin. And it's just a pet peeve I have with almost every fanfic is when a character know, seems to know or understand quite instantly a lot more than it seems like they should. Like, Sano, I felt like Sano should be like take a beat to be confused about exactly what was happening instead of like Sano realized that from Kenshin's perspective, you know, like Sano was a threat in this situation. <laughs> like would he, just from glancing at a, like a feverish Kenshin, would he have known? Well, he was primed to think about it in that way by Megumi, like during her briefing. Also, there are physical indications that Kenshin is Batosai, right? Mm. so just saying the eyes and such yeah it's an interesting habit of fanfics to take what i consider to be a super stylized part of kenshin and making his eyes glow and have the (laughs) battle aura and make it like a physical change Um, but yeah like it goes on for a couple paragraphs on those thoughts about kenshin's thoughts about, about what was happening and i felt that was like a little weak but whatever for me there's a few things I could mention. We already talked about the fan Japanese. This is one of those fanfics also where, um, you know, the author's expecting it to be a fan reading, not me. And as a result, I feel like the sense of place is a little bit weak for me hmm. when the author gives really good details about kind of like, in general, their, their writing style, I feel like is strong and like kind of uh, short and effective. But like I didn't, I didn't have much of a mental image of where we were, and I'm sure that's because I'm just supposed to be super familiar with this whole like dojo area because I, I'm supposed to have seen it a million oh. times, you know, in the anime or manga. Or right, whatever. right. And the mm-hmm. last thing I wanted to mention is just that, um, I kept expecting to get a little bit more from Kaoru's perspective about what she thinks about Kenshin, her feelings towards Kenshin and or his Batosai past or personality or anything like that. Because it's all very relevant. And like, we get we get a fair bit from Kenshin himself, albeit 
you know, feverish a lot of the time and like, you know, out of his mind in various ways. But we, I felt like we got surprisingly little from Karu. Did either of you two feel that same way? Yeah. I mean, I, I think that in a way we got more from Karu in this than we did in the anime. <laughs> really? But a lot of her feelings were just concerned for Kenshin, which is sweet, but it doesn't give her a lot of personality. But right. Yeah. It might have, I might have liked to hear a little bit more from her about like how she feels about his past or like whether, to what extent she's freaked mm-hmm. out by this other personality occasionally emerging or like. Especially at the end, right? Right. Anything like that. Yeah. I, I think, I think it's the issue. And like, as in the anime, she just doesn't have a lot of, most of her personality that isn't about being in love with Kenshin is comedic. Mm. Um, like all the suspense, all the romance stuff, like that's just, worry and like thinking about Kenshin potentially other people this this fanfic seemed to go chapter one mostly comedy mm-hmm. chapters two through four suspense chapter five just straight up romance and they don't really go back to the comedic sense which is I'm gonna talk about in my praise but uh <laughs> but I, yeah I I think you're right but I, if maybe if they had put some comedy in that last chapter and like Kaoru reacting like these are all rascals and she has to do everything, like every female anime protagonist. I'm not saying that's what she needs to be doing. I just meant like in the drama or in the romance, we could have gotten a little bit more from her perspective. You can that's shift not, gears not, there. That's not who no, she is. Huh? Kaoru. She just doesn't, <laughs> yeah, not, not deep at all. Well, let's move on to praise, though, because I think we have a lot to praise from this fanfic. Yeah. Yeah. I really enjoyed it, actually. Um, and like I mentioned before, there, there is some element that like just made sense to me trying to unify Kenshin's disparate personalities that are like, you know, as I guess, you know, in modern day terms, we call it dissociative identity disorder. Like he has these two personalities. When I was watching the show as a kid, I was like sort of picking up on that and maybe not. Like the author makes it very literal. I think Taryn, you said like you didn't know if that was meant to be so literal. Like the, it's like the physical changes, especially. But I think the author using that literality does work. And furthermore, it's like a good unification of like pathos and humor. Like one of my favorite parts is that after Sano and, um, Kenshin fight and like literally like, well, first of all, before they even fight, Kaoru is screamed and dropped a ceramic bowl and broken it. Then they fight and they just completely destroy a wall. They're bouncing all around the kitchen and using their superpowers. And then um, Yahiko wakes up after the fight is done. (laughs) And um, I forget what it says. Yeah, that he's literally, he was literally asleep through the entire fight. He only wakes up when Sano comes into the room, right? right? And is like broken and bloody. And he's like, what the hell happened? I'm like, how could you not hear that? But it is really humorous considering like the personality of the situation. And it's nice to bookend on a bit more humor as well. Mm-hmm. And also, like I said, the pacing is pretty well structured. And that's yeah, funny. I want to say that too. Like going into this, when I had the vague idea, this is about Kenshin getting really bad fever. I thought, how interesting could that possibly be? Is it just going to be right, like a right. bunch of like dream sequence or whatever? And I would say the author makes it about as interesting as it could possibly be, like in a in a positive way, where, um, and the two parts of that I think are raising the stakes and setting up the stakes in such a way 
that it's like an actual physical, like real world threat more than like a, you know, d- disease threat, really. And the other hmm. half is that is that pacing, Tori. It's just that the fanfic's pretty short. And it's because the author is keeping the momentum going. And if you lingered on any of those chapters, it would have all fallen apart. And the author, for the most part, doesn't. So it's like enough to set up the situation and then move forward into the next chapter and set up what they need to set up and move on to the next chapter. And um, I think that's very praiseworthy worthy to have. Like, I, I always like when we read fanfics that have a very clear idea of what they're trying to do, and they focus on doing that. And I think it was very effective here. Yeah. Um... That was part of one of my three big praises. Um, but the, the third one, I'm going to go through them. So number one, I've never heard the word termagant before. And I had to learn, look it up. And I learned what it was, and now I've forgotten it. But I really liked its use. This is the second time I've run to that word, which means my reaction was, oh, cool, they're using that word. And I've also yeah. forgotten what it means again. I think it's like a, a, a frenzied first it was like demon I, I don't know um anyway number two so i mentioned with the comedy i thought that the way the comedy was written in the first chapter even though i didn't you know find it funny or whatever <laughs> I, I realized that i i enjoy that the the like the serious thoughts um in the minds of the characters of the kauru especially like juxtaposed with it's like comedic physical thing happens serious thinking while comedic thing is happening and then staccato like that like we're in wacky hijinks like we're got a fam familial relationship going on we make fun of each other and whatever we argue with each other we whine um at the same time like we're thinking about other things i thought that that mimicked the anime like because you know it's a sort of a fam familial comedic environment at the dojo um but they also have serious things i think about sometimes sort of lingering in the atmosphere and i actually thought this panfic i liked it more than in the show like i think having that here's a comedic thing here's what we're actually seriously thinking about back and forth for me that worked more successfully I guess if you, oh, yeah, I, I understand what you're saying where like it lets you get the flavor of the characters that you're familiar with while also kind of stressing, but actually these are like real people who actually have like actual things going on in their heads. They're not just yeah. these, you know, weird caricatures that are bouncing off each other. Exactly. And the author kind of got to have it both ways. Yeah. And I can sort of dwell in thinking about one, like what's seriously going on with the character if I wanted to. Or I could dwell on the comedy if I wanted to. It wasn't simultaneous. So, like, I, you know, I had time, right? <laughs> um, the third thing was one of the things I like most about the source material, things I like about Kenshin, is that it's, its major climactic, like, plot strokes are extremely clean. Like, they're not... Um, they're not coincidental. They have very simple causes that don't necessarily bleed into one another. Like, Kenshin didn't have a falling out with his master, which made him go off to war. He just had a naive ideological difference, so he went, right? Kenshin wasn't forced to kill Tomoe because she was vengeful, even though he killed her ex-fiance. There wasn't any weirdness with that. It's just she got in the way of like him attacking someone else to protect him from that other person. 
Um, he's not the greatest fighter in Japan because he just happens to be extremely talented. He was specifically trained from a very young age to be the greatest fighter by the actual greatest fighter because a man like just took him as his apprentice, right? These are very like clean. Like I don't have to like think about how all these different destinies are interweaving or whatever. And that's a thing I like about the fever in this fanfic. Like it's like he gets a fever. This does dramatic things. It's not because someone from his past has entered his life. You know, it's just... It's not a supernatural element encroaching. Right, it's not, exactly. It's not a complete oh. breakdown of his personality that's suddenly happening for no great reason. It's it's a proximal cause, you're saying. It's like a therapy session. Like, this whole thing is like a therapy session. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the whole rest, all, all of Kenshin has this from the from the get-go when you're trying to figure out who the heck Kenshin is it's like i'm i'm no doctor so i can't describe accurately that Kenshin has massive amounts of ptsd even though he was a child soldier right who killed all sorts of people including the love of his life like but that that infuses everything in the series like his reactions to everyone around him like like him feeling cute him thinking oh there's a family here like i don't have to worry that i'm going to be killed in the morning like that's all like super relevant in his life and so a fever enabled like like losing his composure and dealing with all of the trauma that has caused his his ptsd and his general life like view to collapse like this is a great way like a literal like physical condition which makes people like i had a fever recently and i felt really strange you know and i i like that a lot um i like that i didn't really like that it ended up coincidentally uh mimicking the exact same thing that caused his major source of trauma in his life um but i understand if you really want if you're really aiming for catharsis that's probably the best way to do it yeah all right. I think that's a really good analysis, actually, Taryn. Covered all the bases, dusting off our hands. <laughs> <laughs> Shall we wrap this up then? Yeah. Well, yeah, it it was um it was an enjoyable read. Thanks for joining me to talk about it. Yeah. It probably deserved to win that two thousand best Veroni Kenshin fanfic award that it has. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> No, Taran deserves to win the award for best Daruni Kenshin fanfic analysis. That of right. 2022? <laughs> I think he's a shoo-in. <laughs> <laughs> How deep can that field be? At least in the 1998 Kenshin fanfiction category, right? <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Right. Best 2022 analysis of a late 90s Roni Kenshin fanfic goes to Taran. <laughs> love it congratulations thank so ah. thanks to the author yeah and thank you to fun. the author yeah. this episode of retro fanfic retrospective was once again for the fanfic fever dreams by seki haratae and you can find that on the author's personal website which is still there it's got some kind of angel fire email address or something it's not even angel fire it's like something even more you know Dreamhost. specific is that right? Is that a thing? Might... 
on the fanfiction site it says tai at sekihara.dreamhost.com but dreamhost right that sounds like the sort mm. of thing that existed back then anyway yeah. you probably cannot still contact the author at a um dreamhost email address but you know stranger things have happened but you can find the fanfic on that website which we'll link to and on AO3 which we'll also provide a link to so you can actually leave modern kudos and comments and that sort of thing the intro song to the podcast is The Weekly Fair off of the album Popey's Incredible Adventure by Komiku. The outro song is Run Against the Universe from that same album. And you can find that album and other works by Komiku at loyaltyfreakmusic.com. Our podcast is edited by Della Davis, who I assume does something involving taking a sword and like chopping off the parts that don't need to be there very specifically, occasionally using the <laughs> flat of her blade when... Uh, the audio just needs to be somewhat massaged. That's how editing works, right? Yeah. It's That sounds uncomfortable, but sure. <laughs> and let's see, you can find our website at retrofanficretrospective.podbean.com or bit.ly slash retrofanfic. And if you have questions, comments, or thoughts about the episode, you can find us on Twitter at retrofanfic or send us an email at retrofanficretrospective at gmail.com. Those are probably the best ways. You can also leave comments or reviews on the podcast service that you use to listen to this podcast. I'm Amato. I'm Tori. I'm Taran. We're just three Earth life forms trying to be nice to each other and leave our past as killers behind. Until next time, take care. Oro, oro. What was it? Oro, oro, oro. Oro, oro, oro. Wait, does he just say oro or does he go like oro oro oro? Here's the here's the super embarrassing thing, Amato. I don't know because I it, it didn't watch it sub. That's true, you only saw Samurai X sub, you said. Right, that's not the anime yeah. sub, so I should not.